Welcome to Scores and Pours, the podcast where you learn about wine and classical music, hosted by sommelier Jill Mott and me, radio host Emily Reese. Today we're going to do a little fun recap after a trip to California. We're going to talk about some travel nightmares, some wines I tasted on the trip, and catch up a little bit. If you like the show, consider making a financial contribution for as little as $1 a month on our Patreon page. You could also give 5 or $10 a month, and we have patron-only content we're going to start rolling out very soon. Learn more at patreon.com slash scoresandpours. You'll also find a playlist and a wine list there. Thank you to all of our patrons for signing up to support our podcast and for all you people that are doing inadvertent advertising for us by buying merch. Thanks a lot. We appreciate it. Good day, Emily Reese. We're back in the winter wonderland that is Minneapolis. I got back less than 24 hours ago. Yeah. And I'm not okay with it. It was 100. You shouldn't be. It was 100 degrees where I was at less than three days ago. Yeah. Uh, I drove back. You flew back. I flew back, which was its own. We had our own version of Nightmare on the way back, and mine was a lot shorter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. We'll, We'll talk about both of our nightmares, but I... Uh, the reason we are, this is a follow-up. We had a road trip episode. Then, of course, we had a, you know, we recorded on-site in California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We thought we'd have a follow-up, a recap of, like, what I learned in California and music for calming times. <laughs> Calm those crazy times. I should say music yeah. for crazy times. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it was, I mean... Obviously, maybe it's not obvious, but it was my very first flight during COVID times, the first plane I'd been on. And it was quite the experience. I did not expect the flight to be full, that's for sure. Don't know how they're getting away with that. You know what I have to say to that? Let's drink some wine. (laughs) (laughs) So you introduced me to a new term here with this and we've never we've not even talked about it but you keep saying that this man gave you a vertical yeah so i visited um a dozen plus winemakers and one of them is located in sonoma in sonoma valley his name is jacques matou and he is from france he's from eastern france very close to uh, lake geneva and he makes i'll get to your question in just a moment (laughs) Uh, he makes a blend really typical of the Chateauneuf du Pop area. And the reason I specify Chateauneuf du Pop is because Chateauneuf du Pop can use many different whites and many different reds, grapes, in their appellation um, under their laws, under their rule book that we've talked about. I think 13, if I remember correctly, or 15. And Jacques uses many of them. So in this wine here, when you say a vertical... Jacques was very sweet. He said, so Jill, do you, um, with his French accent, he's got to be, you know, in his mid-60s, if not older, but like a legend um, in the area. He's like, if I give you these bottles, do you have a way 
to like drink them or enjoy them because we had tasted them. Of course, they were uncorked, and I was like, "Do you know who I am?" Like, <laughs> of course, I wouldn't be a wine professional if I didn't have a way to open, drink, and get rid of wine yeah. um, or and or wine bottles on my trip. So he gave me, uh, which is very sweet of him. He opened a 2016, a 2017, and a 2018 of his Cote de Caillou label. Um, that's the name of his wine. He vinifies in the same place as Tony Katuri in Sonoma. So a vertical is the same wine in, in different vintages. So you're able to taste the vintage variation. Mm-hmm. So in this case, when I say Chateau du Pop and kind of Southern Rhone style blend, we have Grenache, Syrah, Mouvedre. We have Cunoise. There's a little bit of Marsan, which is a white grape. Grenache Blanc and Roussan. So all three of those are white grapes. He's got some Chasselas planted, which is a grape that's very well known in his region, but not definitely not part of the repertoire, but he throws it in his repertoire because it's California. You can do what you want. <laughs> and yeah, so we're tasting right now the 2016. Cheers. Cheers. Welcome back to Minneapolis. Likewise. Mm. So 2016 was a nice year there. It wasn't as hot as the next vintage we're going to taste. 2017, it wasn't as pristine pitch perfect as the 2018 where people basically looked at the grapes and made good wine. Mm -hmm. So at this point, you know, it's four years old. You get the roasted, you know, red fruits of the Grenache. You get that kind of mineral, black mineral and meaty component of the Syrah. The Mouvedre is kind of losing that sinister, deep, punchy, brooding self. It's a little bit more relaxed. What do you think of it? I love it a lot. And this was open almost a week ago, like about five days ago. Yeah, I wish I knew what it was like just open, but it's still really delicious. It's um, just the tiniest bit fruity. Tell me about your nightmare coming home, because you, you alluded to nightmare. I mean, it, nightmare is a stretch. I mean, it was just more alarming, I think, than anything, just given the times and... Um, I had heard about, you know, flights where people had their own row. And um, that eventually was the case for me. But that's only because a flight attendant saw me and she thought I looked too tall to be in the seats. And so she said she had one one row left. And I could have my own row. I wanted my own row because of COVID, not because I'm so tall. I mean, I've been cramming myself on the planes for 30 years. So I can, <laughs> I, like, I understand how uncomfortable that experience always is for me. But um, it was just interesting that I was in a full row of, I just couldn't believe it. It was like, that was literally the closest I'd been to a stranger for that amount of time. That's the thing that worried me. It wasn't being that close to a stranger. I can handle that for a half a second when I'm passing someone on the street right now. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be seated right next to people. I don't want there to be families around me. I don't, and I mean... How did it, how did it feel, like, <clears throat> in the airport? The airport was okay. It was way emptier than I thought it would be, which was another reason why I was so surprised at how full the flight was. But um, it was like in the waiting area and everything by the gate, people were really spread out. But then, of course, as soon as you queue up to get on the plane, everybody compresses again. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, God, this is a we're just Six fighting people. a losing battle right now. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, it's just like Did you download something that was calming. I did. For these times. I downloaded the John Field 
nocturnes, which we've actually talked about on Scores and Pours for our St. Patrick's Day episode in 2019, a year before COVID. Do you have a favorite nocturne that you want to just play right now to calm us both down? Because I just yeah. got home like a very <laughs> short while ago and I'm still a little bit like stirred up for my trip and I'll tell you about it in a second. But yeah. like, what can you play one of your favorite nocturnes? Absolutely. The first one is just absolutely brilliant. Let's listen to it. that's really calming amidst a storm (laughs) that like when he's like you can just hear the rip off of Chopin when he did that and he's like well Chopin took the idea from John Field yeah yeah that's that's what I mean that's what I mean yeah Um, so good so pretty so pretty yeah did you find just even thinking about that music on the plane helped yes okay yes very much well my Venture home was similar, but I think let's get some 2017 in our Let's do the 2017 because the 2017 is mind boggling compared to the 2016. The 2017 is so angular to me compared to the 2016. The reason why she's speaking like she was actually with me on the trip, oh, and she wasn't during all of these wineries, was we edited before this, and I was like, Emily, do you want to taste the wines a little bit early so you can see what they're like because they're so cool? And she was like, Yes, I do. Um, (laughs) So so I've tasted all these before. So this is the Cote de Caillou 2017. This is a rich, warm vintage. And when I put it in front of Emily, I was like, can you smell how warm it is? And she was like... Amazing. Whoa. It's amazing. And again, this if, if that first wine was a circle, then this is like a hexagon or something. Oh, I thought you were going to say if that was a circle, then this is a sphere. Oh, I don't know. Like just richer, overall richerly, richer, more brambly. Okay, so now that I have that in my glass, um, yeah, I think it's like less acidity. Mm-hmm. It's a little, it's kind of equal on the tannin front, but it's got like just overall more stuffing. When a wine is warmer, I mean, think of like when your fingers are, when it's warmer outside and your fingers, have, you have a ring on and you can hardly take your ring off because your hands are a little bit like thicker and they've kind of expanded because of the heat. Grapes are the same way, and a lot of times if winemakers are hands-off, like Jacques, where, you know, he puts his wine in old barrel to age for, you know, over a year, between a year and two years, he's not putting any sulfur in the wines, he's not filtering the wines, then they're going to be representative of the vintage. And what I love about this, before I get to my nightmare, (laughs) is Cote de Caillou, and what I was telling Jacques about, you know, we were both talking about the natural wine movement right now, and how kind of annoyed I am with it in in some regards. And I'll talk to you about that in a second when we get to uh, one of the wines that we tasted on our trip that I still have with me. <laughs> um, is that now it's kind of like a free-for-all of like faults and cool wines that aren't faulty, but they don't, they have no character of, say, Mondeuse or Grenache or Chardonnay. or They're just like 
tricked out, fermenty, very like estery. And I love those wines. I think they're really delicious. But in the end, I want to taste a wine and I do want, you know, if, if I just know that, like, I want to be able to have some sort of, I drink wine because it brings me to a place. Even if it's a new place, it has, it tastes like the grape in just a different shade. And sometimes you just get, no. and so Cote de Caillou is like natural. It's a little riper, a little bombastic. You'll taste the next vintage, a little restrained, mm-hmm. but it, it tastes like a natural version of classic. Like people would, would be like, is this from California? Is this from the Rhone? But they wouldn't say this is Spanish wine or they would they definitely get the varietals if they knew wine. Yeah, that's what I wonder. I wonder like when you taste this, would you be able to parse through all the varietals in here? Or would you probably not, not all the all varietals, them, but I it's quite a little mishmash, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I mean know. I would probably if I were, you know, in a good day, I'd be like, well, is this from the Southern Rhone? Is this from the Northern Rhone with, you know, like a Von yeah. de Pay, but it has some Grenache in it along with some Saran Mouvedre? I, I would maybe get to California, but then I wouldn't know which grapes because California, you can grow a ton of different stuff, right? Sure. Whereas Southern Rhone, it needs to be a certain thing if it's going to be a Cote de Rhone, okay. right? So like, but yeah, I think it does really much, it does taste like grapes from a place and that is what makes it in that classic realm, right? Mm-hmm. I digress. Night- nightmare. Nightmare, yeah, because again, we drove out together. We did. It was so that we could good avoid company. good company fun. and yeah, and avoid flying. And great music. We listened to so much great music. It was it was amazing. <laughs> and on the way and home, Emily, you know I, I had to fly back and come back to work and um And I got you know my, stayed out to my work my and, work is different. So I decided to come home on like a I don't even know what day it was, a f- Saturday, Saturday I was gonna leave. And I Woke up early and left Oakland, and the thing said, okay, you have 1,200 miles. And it was 100 degrees. And it was 100 degrees. <laughs> and it said, this is going to take you, you know, 15 to 16 hours, and that, of mm-hmm. course, means no stops. 16 to 17 hours later, I was at my destination. Actually, no, it was, it was a little longer than that, because in Rollins, Wyoming, all of a sudden, which is a short distance from Casper, where I was going to sleep overnight, mm-hmm. whitewash... Yeah. Snowstorm. Yeah. Whiteout. It was just like, it and it said like seven degrees and snow was like going horizontal in front of the window and I I looked and I was like, can I if I could pinch myself and not lose control of the wheel, <laughs> I would. And it sucked, sucked hardcore. Yeah. And then I woke up thinking, okay, you know, there's gonna be a little snow on the ground, but I got it. Like I'm a positive person. Like let's get this. And I wake up after a terrible night's sleep because there was like some bar open close to my hotel and like all these like people were just running around, passing out in the hallways, Fighting. making yeah. Like I told Emily, like domestic abuse it's just like people just fighting and it was terrible throughout like the whole hotel like everybody yeah. it was like riffraff right times 100 i wake up i'm like haven't slept well but i have a great coffee with me like sh- <laughs> i like i bought a whole growler of of cold press because i figured that would happen so i set you know my minneapolis in the google thing maps, and it yeah. says yeah google maps and it says you have 12 hours and 900 miles. I'm like, all right, let's do this. It's snowing, but let's do it. So I get in the car. 
after about five hours of sleep. And I, I actually called you at one point. I was like calling all my friends, calling family members, trying mm-hmm. to stay awake. I called Emily and I was like, she's like, oh yeah, you're coming back. Cool. I'm like, dude, it has said that I've had 11 hours to drive home. For the last four fucking hours, <laughs> it is snowing so hard. Yeah. It was like seven degrees. It was like there was, I could only drive like t- between 20 and 40 miles an hour in like an 80 mile an hour zone. And that was for until the thing said I had six hours left. Yeah. Dude, I was in that shit for, for what would have been yeah. five, but it was like seven hours. Yeah. My back hurt. I was like, I'd pay like a hundred dollars or like a thousand dollars for Trista, my, my body work person. I'd be like, dude. <laughs> she gave me an adjustment in the car like it was terrible anyway I ended up getting home at 11 last night after 900 miles instead of it taking 12 hours it took like 15 and you know yeah. what it took longer than that uh, yeah I, 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 I'm better for it I'm yeah. better for it yeah. but that was my she worked head. yesterday <laughs> it's true <laughs> I, I, sounded, I sounded like a wreck it's true um, anybody would be. That was really hard. It's hard to drive those distances uh, with someone, let alone by yourself. And that was that was an accomplishment. Thank <laughs> you. Well there, done. Yeah, there, there were, I think that when we were about to hang up, I was like, uh, she was like, yo, bon voyage, you know, travel safe and, you know, call if you need whatever. And I was like, I think I'm going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> and I did four times. And then I stopped crying because I'm like, you can't see the road, Jill. You can't see the road. Stop crying. So... It was pretty uh, epic. Yeah, I mean, it's epic, and I feel like we should have a cheers with the 2018 to traveling during the Rona, because I think uh, venturing out there together was really fun, and then I think traveling back, you know, we each had our own adventure, and they were both very stressful in different ways. Mm-hmm. Cheers with the 2018. Cheers. Cote de Caillou. All black schiston minerals. Minerals all day. Yeah. Flintstone vitamins. Like that kind yes, of dusty. the red ones. Sure. The red ones. Sure. Yeah. yeah. The purple and red. I would have liked the whole bottle of the Flintstone vitamins yesterday in the car. What do you think of the wine? I mean, this one's my favorite Jacques, of the three. <laughs> dude, so it's so direct. It's like perfect. It's pitch perfect. So fruity. Everything's in balance. It's fruity, yeah. but it's dry, but it's got all the... There's no jagged edges. No. And Jacques said, he was like, I would try to imitate his French accent, but then I'll just sound dumb. Jacques was like... Jill, I looked at the grapes, and they made themselves. Like, it was like, the grapes looked beautiful. We brought them into the winery. They tasted beautiful. They t- blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. He's like, the whole way through the process, there was just no mold, no smoke taint, you know, which a lot of winemakers had to harvest early because of heat spikes. In 2018? In 2020, excuse me, this year. Uh. They had to, and... And, I mean, literally beginning of August, middle of August, like around the 13th through the 17th, 18th, uh, those dates, maybe not 13th, 17th, I think it okay. sounds in my mind. You have the glass fire, yeah, which is a lightning fire. I was It was confirmed while I was there. And people had to get those grapes off the vines and start making wine because mm-hmm. if they waited for more ripeness which would have meant less acidity, so it's probably good they harvested when they did, but they may got, have gotten a little bit of less aromatic complexity, but why? Because if they would have pulled those off the vine a week or two later and macerated it, the longer that those skins hang around with juice, you get smoke taint. So wow. you're, I tasted a lot of vessels that had smoke taint, really? and it was incredible. It tasted as if I just smoked a cigarette 
which yes. I haven't done in years, but then, and, you know, drank a, a sip of wine. It was yeah. incredible. And they will have to ship those out to get distilled wow. or just toss it. And what what's nuts is some growers have relationships with their farmers where the farmers said, listen, I've done all these trials I've, I've harvested and I've done one week of maceration, two days of maceration and tasted the juice because you'll be able wow. to taste then. Neat. And they said, I, I don't have smoke taint, so you can come and pick. So growers, you know, they, they're the, yeah. the winemakers go, pay for that labor, yeah. harvest all the grapes. And then the growers have said, and you know what? If you get smoke taint, let me taste it. But then you don't, a lot of people said you don't have to pay for the fruit. Like, I, I get it. Like, this is so it was just like a really good, like, showing of and demonstration of like teamwork and people just doing like the, the growers working for the winemakers and vice versa out there for people that didn't farm their own fruit because a lot of them do, but a lot of them don't. Yeah. So, what else calmed you down on this? Well, it would have calmed you down to have some Cote de Caillou in your seat. <sighs> yeah. Oh, man. It would have, it would have calmed me down to have all kinds of things I bought in California. <laughs> In my seat. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but as I mentioned, I've said for years, one of my favorite albums to listen to on the plane is that Remo Trio Sonatas album. And we did a road trip episode on that. So I can I can include one of the Trio Sonatas we've not featured on there. But we've talked about that album a couple different times on Scores and Boards. But I mean... I, I literally practice what I preach in that because it, it really is one of my favorite albums to listen to on a plane. I absolutely love it. Okay, so for a moment, yeah, I'm going to close my eyes Okay, and I'm going to imagine myself on a plane with, oh my God, that's pretty scary already. Yeah. Um, in a plane. <laughs> with a face mask on. With a face mask on and yeah. I'm sitting in a packed row. There's, there's nobody walking down back and forth with coffee or... Tomato juice or, hey, if I'm on the plane and going on vacation and somewhere tropical and before 10 a.m., hey, do you have any vodka or gin in there so we can make a bloody? It's like the, one of the few places I actually like bloodies. <laughs> so I'm imagining myself yeah. on this plane, mm-hmm. no tomato juice, no coffee. Yeah. I usually don't drink a lot on planes because I just kind of makes me loopy and tired. But just there's lots of maybe Rona floating around the plane. Yeah. And I just get like, whoa. Okay, play something. Play, I just get like, whoa. Play a little bit of the Rameau that you would listen to and that you would, like one of your favorite movements that we haven't featured. Okay. Oh my gosh, is the plane going down? We all getting Rona? No, I'm just kidding. I, I say that because it's like... Yeah. I'm kind of like... Ma'am, or Madame, or... Garçon? Uh, or they Anne. Um, <laughs> could I please have a glass of the Rhine Hessen Riesling? And then I realize, well, it's, it's not happening. I'm just not, <laughs> not there. Nobody is sharing any of that on the plane. Uh, but it's beautiful. I love how punchy it is. It's very. It's a lot more um, action than I would expect for, you know, a chill, calming. The John well, Field, I think, it sounds way more chill. But I know this activates your brain in a way that would maybe get it away from the Rona. It does. It makes my brain leap into, like, hyperactive mode because I just start listening to all the interactions and it... 
it takes my mind off of reality faster than the John Field, which is crazy. Because oh, okay. the, the John Field is very calming, but if I want distraction from reality, I put on Baroque music. Because that will literally distract me from anything around, because I'll just be f- laser focused on what's happening there. Yeah. So, <laughs> so this is funny. We, I told you I would bring this back in. I don't think you believe me. I didn't think, I, no, I didn't. The, the shit just got mousy, man, and I didn't want to drink it for three weeks. <laughs> but it was also, I did, I, because I told you I was going to bring you back some. I, so this is from the Canaan Wine Company. Yep. That we tasted on location. We did, in uh, our on-location episode, yeah. Literally mid-October. And now we're in late October, <laughs> so this wine has been open for two and a half to three weeks, and it is... Still mousy. It's it's <laughs> it's so mousy. And so I, fucking mousy. I, the reason why I kept it is because a week and a half ago that I tasted it, I was like, it's wow, it's way more fruity. It doesn't really taste mousy. And, but there's a little bit of that corn chippy, just a touch, but I was like, mm-hmm. wow, it doesn't really. And when I looked, what's so nuts is you and I have looked today, it's a root day or a leaf day, excuse me, on the biodynamic calendar. Yeah. And on the day that I tasted this last, which like I said, was a week or week and a half ago or so, it was a fruit day. Oh. And so what's crazy is I, and you just think about it and it makes sense. But for those of you that know the biodynamic calendar where leaf and root days if you believe in this, which I do, taste a little bit. If you believe in the tides, then you believe in this. Like they are drier and they like things taste drier and more rooty and more tannic and just then on a fruit day or a flower day where things taste kind of overall fruitier, whatever. And I wonder if that just seems like it could possibly coddle the mouse to make it less perceptible yeah because this is i just remember at the beginning of the episode that we recorded out in california and you're like this is mouse not mouse and i'm like this is mouse and by the end of the episode you're like yeah this is totally mousy you're like yeah it's mousy but i wonder because a few days ago or however then last week it wasn't as mousy no and but i wonder if are that mouse not mouse Mm mm-hmm I wonder if this is the first time this is ever being like described ever on a podcast <laughs> that mouse not mouse people call it that because they taste it on a fruit day. Write this down because this is revolutionary <laughs> shit right here. I wonder if mouse because everybody talks about like mouse not mouse meaning this what we are tasting on the retronasal like after you swallow and then you get something tastes more perceptible yeah. on the retronasal when you taste a wine and it tastes like corn chips and almonds and crackers and like fr- like frito lays is a common descriptor big time when you swallow that means that lactobacillus but a form that is not the healthy one that goes into like sour beers and is has either has gotten into your wine and made it taste like that. And that's either happened on the vine, like on in supposedly winemakers this trip were telling me about, oh, it's in this vineyard, but it's not in that vineyard, like, or certain barrels, or people aren't being clean. Those are like, yeah. In a, like hygienic, you know? Yeah, so they, there are reasons. There are varied reasons. Yep, and nobody can prove how or why. And I've heard from winemakers, they've said like, oh man, 
oh, it's like mousy, which every, a lot of people in natural wine know what that is, but it's not mouse. It's mouse, but not mouse. And what that means is to them, they get it. And then other times they tasting, they're tasting the wine. They're like, this is, per- it's good. It doesn't taste like that. Mm-hmm. But for the first time ever, I think I'm going to hypothesize on scores and pours Amazing. here. Yeah. I'm going to forward this to like all my friends and post it like nine times so that I can <laughs> at all the friends so they can see this. So pardon that. But that fruit days mask mousiness. So then people call it mouse, not, not mouse. mouse. But in wow. reality, it's actually just the fruit doing you a favor and the moon. And the fruit day. Yeah. Yeah. So... On the day that we recorded on location, let's look and see what kind of day that was. So we looked. And it was a flipping fruit day. It was a fruit day, so... It was definitely noticeable. I was like, yeah, but no, it's kind of like this thing that lingers, but I think it's going to go away. And I was like, no way. Dude, I, this is, I have to talk to, I have to actually start talking to friends about this because this is, okay, I'm kind of, I may not be able to focus. I know. Let's taste more. We're not tasting the mousy wine. P.S. We're moving on to something that I found really delicious. So I actually on this trip fell in love with Old World Winery and Derek Trowbridge. Cute. Because he is doing regenerative farming in this area in Fulton, California, where he's, it's, I don't want to get too deep on scores and pours here because we're just trying to get through a very post-trip and semi-traumatic um, <laughs> travel. So regenerative farming is a lo- lot about like what you're trying to do to mitigate what's happening with carbon in the atmosphere, and you're doing it with regards to hyphae fungi, which is a type of like, it's just a long story, but networking basically things that can give nutrients, mushrooms, fungi, to other things you're planting. And he is doing this with mountains of redwood, trees, different types of like dried flora. Mulch. Yeah, yeah mulch. mulching them up and making a compost out of it with no help other than this fungi. And he's putting it all over vineyards. His wines are great. Some of them are a little bit bigger, but he's kind of reining back now and he's doing like a lighter style. Just overall, I think, in his vineyard is what I tasted. And we're tasting his Laureate, which is his 2019 skin-fermented Chardonnay. So good. Old French Oak is his regimen. He's doing, if he needs to, he does sulfur before bottling. That's it. And... Very just precise, clean, natural winemaking, mm-hmm. you know? I had so a, good. one of his wines went mousy like two days later, you know, oh. um, which is normal. I think a lot of producers that aren't using sulfur, sometimes their wines can last a lot and sometimes yeah. they can't. And that yeah. could be a result of when they're bottling and also what's happening celestially, you know, and is their pH low enough? So high acid. Rocks. It smells like slightly perfumed rocks. Yeah, you know what? It smelled like uh, two nights ago when I was in this terrible hotel and wanted three ounces of wine before I went to bed with my cold Domino's pizza from eight (laughs) days ago. (laughs) It was tropical. Mm. It was a lot more fruity and oak-driven. And you're right. Now it's like a bottle of minerals. Yep. 
rocky minerals. Which minerals are rocky? Leaf day. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Mm. Okay, so overall, did you like your, your download? Like what you downloaded? Because what you downloaded and what I listened to on my way back was quite a bit different. I mean, my trip was three and a half hours. So a little less than three and a half hours to fly back from California to the Twin Cities. So, you know, that's a little different than the your trip should have taken less than 24 hours and it took more than 30. Yeah. So you had a lot more to listen to. I, um... Do you want to hear what got me through on the last of my... Because I think you will you will probably laugh. I will love it. And I would love to hear what, what you listened to. Yeah. So I had... You know, there was times where I was very actively listening to music. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, man. This jazz musician, this composer. Once in a while, of course, full Madonna albums. Because we've <laughs> talked about that. That fits, always fits into my schedule. So this is one of my... Just... I know. Get a load. Before I listen to Pacini or after I listen to. That's so Joe Mott. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that I think of my mother doing aerobics and like all these awesome, amazing, like this is like classic running songs. Everyone then, in their 40s thinks of their mother doing aerobics to I'm that not, song. No, I don't mean I don't mean my mother doing aerobics. No, 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 I don't, I don't like, mean it like that either. I just mean that song is if you grew up in the 80s, your mother did aerobics to that song. You know? <laughs> she so did. Okay, you want this and this coming from well, do you want to hear another one that got me through? Uh-huh. Yeah, you do. Like, I'm not a big Bruno Mars fan. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I mean, no, like... No, it's, it's all right, like, whatever. You know, you know, well, I am tripping in finesse. <laughs> I was like, just blazing down like 169, being like, go, just get home. Because if I listen to, you know, chill music yeah. after an hour 13, that's not going to work. At one point, I checked in with Jill just to see how she was doing, how you holding up. She's like... Wiping the tears out of her eyes. No, I'm just kidding. But she's like, I can't listen to jazz. I can't listen to classical. And I'm like, I understand and I understand. I have been in that position before <laughs> where you're like, those two things will not suffice. I need to be yelling and singing breakout at the top of my lungs. All right, let's taste this last one. All right. So this last one is from Old World Winery as well. It is the 2009 blend from Dry Creek Valley. And this is half Petite Syrah. Who likes Petite Syrah? I do. Well, usually people hate Petite Syrah. Oh. 
But I mean, it. I, I do as well. I love petite straw. It's like really dark. A lot of times, it's pretty brooding. It's, it's so dark. It never really has a lot of finesse, but it can add a lot to a blend. And he does this with fifty percent Zinfandel, and fifty percent petite straw, fruity hashtag all day. Yeah. But it's definitely dry, and it's really it's kind of roasted fruits. And for a wine that has not a lot of sulfur added from California, that at this point, 2009, so we're talking about 11-year-old wine here, that normally would be would have been gross six years ago, not aged well, because it has very high pH, very low acid. It just doesn't do well. And this is just a really beautiful effort. Less than 14% alcohol from Derek. And he gave me this bottle, and I'm so happy I have it days later, almost a week later, to share with you. Incredible. Thank you so much for sharing these wines with me. Thanks for putting up with my road trip <laughs> playlist. <laughs> <laughs> we actually uh, did quite a bit of recording out there, and we will be releasing that at some point as well, because we had some good times. We had some good wine and some fun, fun, had, it was a fun trip. Very anecdotal. Cheers, Emily Reese. Cheers. To scores and pours. To scores and pours. We can't to scores and pours and not talk about the we're wine. Not, we're not going to. I was just going to say I looked at it and I was like, whoa, whoa, wait. We both gave each other the same look like, well, wait, we have to talk about this shit because this shit's great. It tastes like prune wine meets date wine, but with way more acid. Now, here it is. This is what it tastes like. This. And tomato paste. If you could imagine the deepest, darkest, reddish purple nail polish... Oh, it has a little bit of volatile acidity. It does, not, uh, not in a bad way. See, I Listen. was all, I was tomato pasty. And, I know, and Kalmata olivey. Yeah. Listen, this is delicious, and if I saw that color, I would want it to taste like this. Hey, olive brine fermented. Yes. Oh, yes. This is good, delicious wine. This is probably the darkest red wine that I've loved this much. And it's, but it's so dry, but it's mm -hmm. enveloping with, with still a bountiful amount of acid. So to all the winemakers I met on my trip, we'll be talking more about you in the future, but to Lo-Fi, Cote de Caillou, to Old World Winery, Jay Bricks, and so many more, thank you so much for your time. And to Barn and Garden in Los Angeles. With Jennifer. Jennifer, thanks for fixing us up with a lot of really awesome wine. That was super fun. So amazing. Let us in the shop to pick out some stuff. To Domain LA, it was awesome to be able to, you know, chat with them. They fixed me up with such an awesome case of beer and wine. Oh, to California. Cali. Scores and pours. Scores and pours. Thank you for listening to this episode of Scores and Pours with Emily Reese and Joe Mott. You can find links and information about this episode and support us financially at patreon.com slash scoresandpours. You will also find a link there to sport some amazingly comfortable hoodies and t-shirts. We are on Instagram at Scores and Pours, and please send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any show ideas or you have any questions for us, constructive criticism, we'd love to hear from you. Instagram at Scores and Pours. Consider supporting the musicians we feature today by purchasing their music. Edited by Jill Mott and Emily Reese, our producer is Sam Keenan. 
Scores and Pours is a production of June Media Incorporated. 